I think a materialist approach to things is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like, you know, grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to The Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm your co-host, Matt Bernico. And I'm your other co-host, Dean Detloff. Once again, we've made it through Lent, and we're just about to Easter. Can't wait. It's coming so soon. I know everyone's really excited for it. If you've never been to Easter before, this time, you're going to love it. <laughs> um, ask too many questions about the origins of these eggs, and you'll be fine. <laughs> that's true that's not important where they came from just stick them in your gob um that means though we've got to talk about resurrection so when it comes to our podcast we talk a lot about the other side of things the crucifixion not just the crucifixion of jesus but the crucified people those people that the spanish salvadorans jesuit theologian ignacio of Curia has recognized as being of the same class of people as jesus who our economic system always seems to crucify for uh, some reason because it hates poor people um <laughs> anyways you can uh learn more about ignacio of Curia and the crucified people in a previous episode that i'll try to link somewhere but anyways Crucifixion makes a lot of sense for people on the left to talk about because there's so many people who continue to be crucified just like daily, right? Class war. That's that's it. That's what's happening. Um, so it kind of fits together, I think, with the uh, the leftist framework. But since it's Easter, we have to think a little bit harder about the other side of the equation. We have to think about resurrection and what that might mean in uh, in a, in terms of politics and in terms of liberation. Uh, liberation theologians have said a lot of interesting things about resurrection, especially with regard to politics. Um, but here's a particularly wild take from an interesting liberation theologian that you probably haven't heard of. A little bit off the beaten track. When it comes to politics, humans trend toward a type of utopian thinking. Utopian thinking is, despite what some people might tell you, usually good when put into practice and can generate, like, hope. Christians, however, are particularly good at thinking this way because our hope is rooted in a battle that's already been won by the resurrection of Jesus. A lot of things have been going on there, a lot of moving parts. But <laughs> this take comes from Brazilian theologian João Batista Libiano um, in an essay that he wrote called Hope, Utopia, and Resurrection. Uh, in the essay, he unpacks what utopia and hope mean, theologically speaking. In this episode, we're going to see how we feel about it. <laughs> Dean and I, we came in hot hot talking about this. Uh, we said we liked it. And then uh, after we said we liked the essay, we did unpack all the things we didn't like about it. So um, we'll see how the whole conversation goes. But uh, regardless, I think that there's a, an interesting argument in this essay that makes you think about um, resurrection and politics in this like sort of different way than maybe 
other Christians and liberation theologians do. So even if we end up not liking it or we find things not to like in it, I think there's something uh, pretty productive in reading it. So uh, I don't know, Dean. What do you think? What should we yeah. do? What should we talk about? Uh, well, we can talk about Labanya in just a second. Uh, I feel like also just in the context of this podcast, it's worth highlighting that we don't really talk about the resurrection much for probably lots of reasons. I mean, like you said, Matt, already, it's easier to talk about the crucifixion side of things if you have a, a left-leaning vocabulary or training or whatever. But I think also, I mean, we say a lot on the show that we're reticent to talk about theology. I don't think Matt or I consider ourselves theologians. Um, we try to be theologically literate. We read theologians. We have thoughts about theologians, but neither of us have done theology per se <laughs> as like a professional discipline. And I think also like, I don't know about you, Matt, but for me, I feel like whenever I talk about Christian doctrine, I encounter people who have really strong feelings about it. And I just like can't match that energy. I can't muster yeah. that strength of feeling. And Easter for me is always a big challenge because I feel like it's like a day that Christians really want you to get psyched <laughs> about that doctrine of like <laughs> resurrection one way or the other. And like, look, I mean, sure, Jesus, he resurrected from the dead. That's great. Um, what a cool guy. Uh, I hope I get to resurrect from the dead one day, too. Who knows? Like, I'll see when I get there. But I'm just kind of like not that invested in it, which is like a big problem maybe <laughs> for for a lot of christians yeah. in particular and maybe even for me who could say um but i feel like that might be some good context just to start out in this episode too to say like it's interesting anyway to try to take seriously what does the resurrection mean for us and even when we did a similar episode last year uh we were talking about aakuria and i feel like it was easier because we had just spent so much time on the crucifixion so i was like yeah, the resurrection, it's a great political concept, <laughs> but it's good to maybe think through the the theology side of things in this one. It's true. I mean, historically on this podcast, we've always said that we aren't theologians, but guess what? I've turned over a new leaf. I'm a theologian now, and I'm ready for this conversation. Oh, wow. Congrats. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, no, thanks. Yep. No, I mean, I don't have any university degrees in it. I have uh, no experience really doing it uh, in any sort of capacity, but... Uh, now I am one now. So there you go. Congrats. Well, uh, there you have it, folks. There's exactly one theologian on this podcast. And uh, I'm going <laughs> to go ahead and defer all of that uh, good theology knowledge to you, Matt. Um, we yeah, can thanks. also. No, please uh, do. There are two seasons of this podcast now the one where I was not a theologian, <laughs> and now the one where I am definitely a theologian now. BT and AT, before theology yep. and after theology. Um, we can also say something really briefly about uh, Joao Batista Libano. He is a pretty interesting guy. Matt said a liberation the theologian you've probably never heard of, which is true. But if you lived in Brazil, that would probably be a different story. He has been pretty instrumental. He's passed away now, um, but he was very instrumental in kind of the like, um, how would you put it? Like the... I guess the more institutional operations of liberation theology, like he was a liberation yeah. theologian, but also uh, very close to the bishops conference in Brazil. Um, he did a lot of kind of practical work in the church. And so I don't know, he's not like the, uh, <laughs> it's not like, you know, Leonardo Boff got silenced for a year and that kind of silenced by the Vatican and that sort of, boosted his international profile right and like people wanted to translate his stuff or maybe there's some other like you know liberation theologians who kind of lend to international intrigue in a way that this particular guy Labano doesn't so it's kind of neat also to just be reading him too because he did shape a lot of discourse in the church and wrote like a ton of books and you know had a really 
outsized influence in Brazil, but not a person that we talk about very much in uh, the global north. Okay, here's the last table setting piece, then we'll just talk about it. But uh, people probably already know this, but friend of the show, one of our favorite Jesuits in the world, David Inchauskas, has a really cool podcast called the Liberation Theology Podcast. He's been on the show before, um, but he was working through uh, a bunch of liberation theology texts, um, I think like, I mean, a long time ago at the beginning of the podcast that he started, but uh, he has talked about lots of the stuff on there as well. And um, this book that the essay is found in is called Systematic Theology, and it's like a collection of essays of different perspectives from liberation theologians. And uh, David was like working through that book so you can... Listen to an actual person who knows what they're talking about. If you want, uh, talk more about it. I mean, now we have a theologian on this podcast, but... Um, yeah, but up until now, I haven't been, so you yeah. still probably listen to David's podcast. <laughs> right, right. All right. Um, so the essay is a, a really fascinating one. Let's just dive into it. It's called Hope, Utopia, and Resurrection, and those are the three themes that we're going to talk about as well in the next hour or so. And we'll pull out some stuff we like and maybe try to flag a few things that might be kind of problematic or <laughs> didn't age well <laughs> and probably weren't that great when he said them either. But uh, we can parse that out in a minute. But one thing I do really like is the way that he kind of creates a context for his own discourse. So he says this in 1968, the Latin American bishops met at Medellin in Colombia and proclaimed a new historical epoch for our continent longing for total emancipation, liberation from all forms of slavery, personal growth, and collective integration. Liberation became the word that galvanized the energies and longings of the whole Latin American continent. It is the great utopia. And given that it arose and grew in Christian territory, it became closely linked with eschatological Christian hope. In the last analysis, it implies faith in the resurrection so that utopia, hope, and faith in the resurrection are an intimately connected trilogy. So I like this because uh, Labanio is already sort of pointing toward like the maybe like the material ground out of which his reflection on these concepts uh, kind of grows. And I like, too, that he's trying to say that, you know, he's, he's going to come at this in kind of an academic or learned way or whatever. But there's this he's trying to articulate that there's a kind of feeling in the continent, right, that liberation is the watchword and everybody is maybe in a kind of, you know, Christian environment uh, to some degree. And so that uh, puts liberation through these like filters through Christian language and kind of gives them a different flair. And I think that is a, a really neat way to sort of set the stage for talking about concepts that, I don't know, can be pretty dry and dusty, especially in theology. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, not every single person in Latin America is Catholic or is like dealing with liberation theology for sure. Or Christian. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, or Christian in general, right? <laughs> but uh, I guess I was thinking about this uh, this essay, especially in the context of uh, Penny Lerno's, uh Voice of the People. And just like the, the background of... Um, like how the church was kind of parsing out liberation at the time, I guess it does make sense to say that it's just kind of like it's in the air, right? Like all of these, like all of these Jesuit and other Catholic organizations are like setting up different types of think tanks and organizations to do sociological research with regard to liberation. So I don't know. It makes sense to me um, and helpful that this is, you know, a piece of that larger puzzle of things that's happening in Latin America at the time. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of positions uh, him as well in a way that the buffs, Leonardo and Clodovis buff, talk about in their book, Introducing Liberation Theology, which is a really good book if you needed to read just like one very quick primer on it. Um, in it, they sort of describe the liberation theologian as kind of sort of like an amphibian, like they have, you know, one part of their life is among the people, and then the other part of their life is sort of uh, trying to do a second order reflection on the experience that they've had with the people. And I feel like you get that here in Labanya's text, right? Like he's sort of pointing to there's something already happening, and he's sort of arriving a little bit late to try to articulate that in a different set of language. So I, I always like when liberation theologians kind of give you a way to uh, affirm that they're trying to, you know, trying to like see themselves as part of the world and not separate from it when they're doing theology. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you gave us a good place to start. Liberation is sort of the watchword of the Latin American continent. Great. A sweeping statement, but I get it. It's true. Okay. Um, But it has a lot to do with utopia and hope, right? Liberation is a type of uh, utopian idea. Uh, in in the Christian way of thinking. And we'll get to more of what that means in a minute. Uh, though I think it's also worth worth parsing out, I think at the very beginning, that directly opposed to the idea of, well, okay, this is how Labanya puts it, at least, directly opposed to that type of Christian utopia, there is a death of utopia in society, that there's a uh, a trend of thinking uh, that he, I think, wrongly <laughs> characterizes Marxism as. Uh, that is anti-utopian, that is trying to uh, think of the world in, in different terms. Uh, so I'm going to read this bit here and we can kind of talk about what maybe he gets right and gets wrong about this explanation. Um, I think that there's, you know, there's some truth to it, but also some complications because Marxism, like Christianity, is a really big thing. <laughs> and just to say something definitive is uh, <laughs> always going to make somebody upset. Uh, so Labanyo says, the death of utopia... The end of hope does not arise from a desperate situation, skepticism, darkening horizons. What it expresses is euphoria. There's no longer any room for utopia or hope because the era has come to an end in which the objective conditions were lacking to make viable social and historical realities. Then he goes on to say a little bit further down, Marxism has also declared the death of utopia as it thinks of socialism as the definitive step from utopia to science. Now we no longer need hope that we can trace the future scientifically. So what Labanyo is saying here is he's he's recognizing that there's a trend in society and in like so in the social thinking of the left, right? Especially on the Marxist side of things. That you don't need things like utopia, you don't need ideas like liberation, and you don't need hopes like the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of all people anymore. Um, like those big religious and theological ideas. Because we already know what to do. We can already sort of like figure out what we can, uh, how to take the next step from the material, the material reality that already exists, right? Um, and, you know, he, Labanio thinks that this is a problem <laughs> because uh, Christianity is like fundamentally opposed to that type of thinking because it is utopian. Um, and he also thinks that Marxism, you know, I mean, I guess fine enough, but doesn't actually deliver on that promise of that next definitive step from uh, utopia to science. Now, I think that there's something true about this, but there's also, this is like a caricature of what Marxism actually thinks about Mm -hmm. utopia 
and also about like the pathway from socialism on to communism or something or dialectical thinking or historical materialism, the whole process, right? Because, I mean, like I said a minute ago, Marxism is a giant, <laughs> a giant bucket of different people thinking and doing things. And I think that if you, um, I don't know, Marxists love to rail against the idea of utopia because it's, you know, idealistic and, um, you know, fair enough as far as that goes, I suppose. But at the same time, it's hard for me to even read the Communist Manifesto and not think of it as utopian in the same way that Labanio thinks Christianity is utopian. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's imagining a world that is better than this one. Um, and uh, that seems pretty utopian to me. <laughs> Though, I mean, it's it's different, I guess. But uh, there are other Marxists, too, that I think are... Um, that have that utopian quality. And I think sometimes it's for the better. So I don't know. Um, what, what do you think, Dean? <laughs> I think you're right, of course. But uh, I think to add on to that a little bit too, we'll talk about Labanya's definitions of utopia and hope in a minute, which are kind of loose, but give a little more um, texture to what we're saying here. And I think we'll see at least at that time that I guess I feel like <laughs> Marxism passes his definitions for those two things. Um, so I find it a bit strange, too. But I feel like, I don't know, like you said, Matt, there's maybe a moment of truth in it. Like you can find Marxists who are annoying and kind of totally. stale yeah. and yeah, bureaucratic and so on. But like it is definitely a caricature of Marxism insofar as like Marx did criticize utopian socialists explicitly, including in the Communist Manifesto. But the criticism is that the utopian socialists kind of remain in the utopia. And to me, this feels more like a semantic difference than a substantial difference, which by which I mean, like, so Marx uses the word utopia (laughs) and he's like, I don't like that. (laughs) Um, But Labanio gives us this definition of utopia by which it would be hard to read Marx as something other than that. And a lot of Marxists as well. Um, It'd be worth pointing out too that like, so Labanio is writing uh, when there's sort of a, a new left wave coming over theology, which is to say, like, in the history of left wing ideas, there's the old left, which is like the, the communist parties that are associated with the Comintern and the Soviet Union and so on. And then there's a kind of like people use different terms, but a dissident Marxist tradition or, um, yeah, a new left tradition that emerges in the 60s, late 50s, 60s, 70s. And uh, like he opens the essay with uh, by gesturing toward Herbert Marcuse, right? A new left figure. And a lot of new left Marxists are properly Marxist, but they also have a lot of time for things like utopia and hope kind of famously. So I guess I found it really strange that he uh, would say something as general as this statement um, because he's like drawing from other Marxists who are, I don't know, (laughs) clear kind of counterexamples. Um, but all that to say, you know, I feel like probably this is my completely speculative guess, but probably what's going on here is liberation theology was definitely targeted for being too Marxist. That was like a, a claim made both in and outside the church um, to try to uh, dismantle liberation theology. And I think you see a lot of liberation theologians going out of their way to disassociate themselves with Marxism just to sort of, I don't know, it's just like a label and a problem that they don't need to take on, you know, like they've got other stuff going on. So they're like, 
it's not worth it to me to cozy up to Marxism proper here or whatever. So I'll kind of do my do my duty and say that I'm not one of those. And here's a kind of ham fisted critique. Um, you see it sometimes in uh, the boffs as well. Even uh, Enrique Dussel sometimes uh, pulls that that move in different parts of his career. So all that to say, like, I guess I see it as uh, maybe like a, a politically savvy thing to say, but not an analytically true thing to say. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, when I read that first that first part that I just mentioned, the um, uh, the death of utopia stuff where, you know, um, not being utopian is not like sad, but it's uh, it's euphoric. Mm-hmm. That made me actually think just a lot of like capitalists, though, <laughs> you totally, know, like totally. I feel like you could just you could definitely switch it around that uh, uh, capitalist. Uh, like, th- I guess to me, this is like uh, this is Francis Fukuyama. This is like the end of history kind of stuff that capitalists just like think that liberal democracy is like sort of one out over socialism. I think he's doing that, though, right? Like he's. He's trying to say that there are sort of two sides of the same coin that like the capitalists on the one side, there's a death of utopia there um, because it's, you know, this is almost like a sort of critique of postmodernism or something, right? That there's no no big story or anything like that. Um, And it's all sort of a symptom of capitalism. And then Marxism, too, has a death of utopia. But in this other way, like it, it refuses utopia because it has the scientific answer to revolution. So it's like the euphoria of capitalism on the one hand the like certitude of materiality on the other, but you know, they're both kind of like edging out those terms. Yeah, fair enough. Well, okay, let's get, let's get to what the definitions of these things are. So maybe we can have even a deeper conversation. (laughs) We got to get these (laughs) definitions on the table. It's so important. (laughs) So uh, he says, utopia expresses a human aspiration toward a truly just order a social world that is wholly human, which corresponds fully to the dreams, needs, and deepest aspirations of human life. It is the image of a perfect society which acts as a horizon and a guideline for a real historical project, for the desire of an alternative project to the present situation. And then he goes on to say, Utopia has two fundamental structural elements. It's a criticism of the present situation and a proposal for what should exist. As a criticism, it shows its character of rejection, denunciation, subversion of the existing order through its property of having no place. This is something he talks about earlier. Uh, the word utopia is, uh, in a literal translation means no, no place. It doesn't exist. Through its property of having no place, it accuses the world of not having permitted it to exist. It points toward what should exist, the right to want, seek, and aspire to another reality. In this case, utopia is anticipatory. Um, I kind of like this definition. Usually when people talk about utopia, they do get weighed down in the um, it's a very good place, the best place you can imagine where everything is perfect or the place that cannot exist because it's so perfect. Right. That's like the Thomas mm-hmm. More thing that people get that people love to talk about people in political philosophy. They love <laughs> saying those two definitions. It's like their favorite thing. Um <laughs> But I like this because it does kind of uh, give you a, a better working definition of utopia and how it's not just high in the sky. It's like uh, a type of criticism that you could levy against the existing order. I do like that. That's pretty cool. Uh, and it does make you think of uh, all of the, well, we'll talk about it more in a minute, but there's all these like places in the Bible where you get this type of utopian vision that's subverting the existing order, You know, whether it's the Psalms or different prophetic voices. But I think it does paint utopia as something that's that's more akin to prophetic speech than just like imagining a really cool city where everyone has a skateboard and can eat a slice of pizza every day or something. 
Yeah, um, I think this is also maybe a good point where we can kind of circle back to the the definition by which Marx is a utopian, right? Um, that Marxism also has this sort of uh, negative move. Um, you know, Marx famously says communism is the the movement of abolition of all things that exist at the present time. Um, but Marx also has this vision of the future where you can, I forget what it is. It's like you're a, <laughs> you can fish in the morning. You can write a book in the evening. You can, <laughs> uh, I don't know, play the, you get a slice of pizza. You yeah. get to ride the skateboard. It's great. Exactly. You all get a churn on it. All without being a, a fisherman, a, a skateboarder, a pizza eater, right? <laughs> the idea is that you're kind of, you're not identified with uh, your activity. Um, so all that to say, I mean, it's just kind of picking on him a little bit, but Marx is a utopia. Marx is a utopian <laughs> by this uh, definition. But I, I agree. I think it's a really good one, right? There's the the negative move. I really like the line of um, negative because the world doesn't allow it to exist. It doesn't have a space yeah. for it. Um, that is really neat. And I think uh, a really cool, I mean, you can sort of see that he's gesturing toward the resurrection here already, which we will yeah. come to at the end of the episode. But the idea being that, right, like the resurrection from the dead is this kind of thing that we think the world has no uh, no way to permit that to happen. And there's this kind of Christian hope that like utopia, you know, this condition where we've overcome every enemy, including death. Like that's the thing that we're going toward because the world just like won't let that be present right now. I think that's pretty neat. It is neat. Uh, you just said the word hope, so now I have to say the definition of the word hope. <laughs> right. Liviano. Hope is theological because it's directed toward God. It is eschatological, which means, you know, um, like ab- about the end of things, the end times, or the conclusion of the story, right? It is eschatological because it refers to our final end, which is already present in our, in our historical reality in sacramental form as a sign and mediation but will be unveiled and fulfilled beyond death. Utopia says no to the present and points toward a future within history. Hope says yes to the absolute future, already present, which comes to meet every human being, but is always future in the sense that it is never totally achieved and known. It always keeps its character of being something to come, an unforeseeable surprise, wholly new. Hope reveals the structure of the real as a movement toward this absolute future and not toward emptiness or nothing. I don't know. There's a pretty good, uh, a pretty good like link there to actually that Marx quote that you just mentioned from the German ideology that communism is the the real movement of abolition of the present state of things. Right? It doesn't sound so different mm-hmm. than hope, actually, if you think mm-hmm. about it. It's true. Maybe, uh, yeah, you know, you you can kind of crudely map the taxonomy here on. Uh, on a, a, a spectrum where you have utopia on the negation side, hope on the affirmation side. Right. And uh, I guess whatever Marx is doing is like <laughs> at times at one side of that spectrum or the other. But I, I do think it's a, it's a good distinction, right? That hope is this thing that is never fulfilled. Um, but there's this weird, like I had this theology prof in, uh, in grad school who used to draw these great diagrams, extremely complicated, famously bizarre and awesome diagrams, um, where he was always talking about hope and time and like trying to, you know, there are all kinds of arrows going in all kinds of directions. And there's some great, some great chaos energy that only a theology professor can give you. 
Um, but one thing that he used to say, and that I think is said here too, is that hope is really fascinating because it's this thing way in the future, but it like impinges on us as something that's more real than our present. And that's what Labanyo is saying here, right? That hope reveals the structure of the real as movement toward this absolute future and not toward emptiness or nothing. So there's this future, you know, state or something that that is perfected or whatever or is real is probably a better word. Um, and it uh, it has this arrow pointing backwards to us or, and like drawing us forward to it. And I think that's pretty neat as well. Utopia is that that stance you take of uh, of the negation of what's going on because you're like, dang, there's got to be something better than this. And hope yeah. is that that sort of posture where you're like, yeah, there is something better. And this is kind of what it looks like. Yeah, I think so. Um, I'm, I don't like I don't like mentioning this, but since I'm a theologian, I guess I'll I will mention another theologian. Um, so there's a theologian that uh, is contemporary. His name's Sam Wells. And he's like, I think he he taught at Duke. He teaches at Duke. It's impossible for anyone to know and keep track of these things. <laughs> Uh, he wrote a book that I read in my undergrad that I thought was actually really interesting. And it's a book called Improvisation. And it has actually a lot to do with these themes about hope and utopia, though he doesn't use those terms and his politics aren't good. So there's that for sure. <laughs> like like most theologians, um, but not me. Uh, anyways, in this book about improvisation, Sam Wells makes the point that um, you that Christians, they already know the end of the story, right? And they already have like this script for how um, the story goes, uh, you know, that uh, Jesus died and was resurrected and like through Jesus, all things are sort of like reconciled. And that's really interesting. Right. And because we know that to be the case, um, we have to like improvise our way through the rest of the world until <laughs> until like the uh, the promissory note of hope is like cashed in or something. Maybe not the right metaphor, but uh, <laughs> but there's something to that. Um for better and for worse, I think. Again, his book is more complicated than this. And uh, like I said, some things that I don't like about it. But the idea that like, you know, you know, what's en- like the, you know, the end of the story. So in the meantime, you have to like act in this particular way that, uh, you know, makes it clear that, you know, the end <laughs> that you're like, uh, that you're in on the on, on how the story ends, that that's something to do with hope. Yeah, I agree. Um, and the more we're talking about it, the more I'm kind of remembering also why I'm so reticent to talk about theology because, uh, <laughs> yeah, man, hope it's great. Uh, great if you can get it. Um, but it is very hard to get. Uh, knowing the end of the story, feeling very confident about that uh, is something that I just am not. Um, <laughs> no, it's tough. It's, it's worth saying yeah. that, though, too, because so this essay, I think, through and through gives you this feeling that like, well, because Jesus was resurrected, like you should feel like empowered by that, right? That you have you have hope that things will turn out in this particular way, that things will be reconciled to one another, that justice will be done, that this like other world is possible, and so on. But politically speaking, it's a really hard thing to like believe uh, mm-hmm. because of how hopeless situations often are, um, and how utopian ideas can be warped so easily to become bad, <laughs> um, which uh, Libiano has something to say about that as well. But uh, I, it's worth bringing that up. That There is, like, to me, like, a, a difficulty in thinking this through in a really serious way because 
maybe I just maybe <laughs> I mean it's it's the challenge of theology and maybe the the challenge of being a like a person of faith in general. Um, but uh, sometimes having hope is very difficult. I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, I always think of that quote from uh, Kafka by way of Walter Benjamin that there's a an infinite amount of hope, but not for us. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, lots of hope, just like probably for someone else though, right? It's easier to kind of have that posture, but um, I do, Easter is the one time of year that I do try to like make hope a discipline in my life. And, uh, you know, for one day, I guess, um, I'll give that a shot. Uh, I feel like more of a good Friday Christian in general. Christmas, if I'm feeling good, <laughs> Easter doesn't really do it for me. But uh, yeah, you know, like that is the the challenge of the Christian message in a, a kind of fundamental ways. Like, there's some kind of hope involved and in ways that I think are also liabilities, right? Like um, some people are really triumphalistic about that, I think, yeah. um, especially a certain brand of Christian. And I think that is um, tough. I mean, we should feel like, like I said, <laughs> hope is great if you can get it. And I would never want to take that away from anybody or say that like being hopeful is naive. I think that is a, uh, a foolish thing that leftists who read too much critical theory or whatever think that they yeah. are, I don't know, smarter than average people because they're like <laughs> unhappy enough uh, or something like that. Um, yeah. Well, because know, on the left, you equate like you equate knowledge with being unhappy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that when you know something, you are miserable because of it. Exactly, which is bad. I think that is also like a, a fundamental victory of capitalism over our brains. But uh, so maybe there's something there that like, Theology could be some sort of resistance to that state of being just insofar as it's trying to be like, well, we could sort of hope our way not out of capitalism or something, but out of that kind of uh, yeah. <laughs> mind prison or whatever. Uh, but we have to do it in ways knowing that, like, you know, there are a bunch of uh, asterisks that come along with that, I think. Yeah, it's worth, I think, disentangling to the idea of hope from optimism because I think they're different things. Yeah, yeah. Like, optimism is like the... <laughs> the general feeling that things just kind of like work out in one way or another and like it's going to be okay but hope i think there is a sense of like struggle involved in it um and that to me seems like a, a pretty big difference hope is you know you you're gonna you're not gonna just like let things fall where they may and you think that those be okay but hope is like striving for something and and hoping that it works out, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like struggling in a in a direction, and uh, and and you know because you're a Christian, you know the end of the story that it's going to work out, even if yeah. you don't think it really will. <laughs> you gotta <laughs> hope. You just gotta you gotta hold on to it, right? It's true. You know, ironically, I think that's actually why a certain amount of Marxism maybe helps me maintain a certain type of hope in ways that are kind of contrary to what Labanya says earlier, but like. It's something about the combination of a Christian hope that says, yeah, like I I think there's some God of love out there who's, you know, <laughs> trying his best. <laughs> and so are we. And hopefully we can all sort it out uh, in some metaphysical way. But I think also what Marx gives you is a way of like putting some particularities to that. Right. That like, well, what do we actually want? Like we want a society that isn't run by capitalist exploitation. We want a society where there's equitable production relationships and distribution of goods and so on and so forth. And I feel like that helps me feel like hope is not just optimism, but has like some, you know, yeah. some like real contours to it. Like maybe not quite a blueprint, but 
you know, Cuba's like down there doing a bunch of stuff and like they're trying to figure it out under rough conditions. And like that gives me a lot of hope. Yeah, I don't want to belabor the point any longer than we have to. But um, this is a podcast and I will indulge my basis desire to talk about <laughs> something. Uh, that's OK, I guess. I mean, Lent is almost over, so you might as well. Yeah. So there's this like there's this, you know, on Twitter, there are types of guys. Um, I do. <laughs> there's a, there's a guy for everything on Twitter. And there's a guy I really don't like on Twitter, and I don't like this guy because I think in a lot of ways I've been this guy, and I'm <laughs> recognizing what I don't like about myself. Um, but there's a guy on Twitter that's like a, a not surprised guy uh, who, whenever <laughs> something bad happens, are like, yeah, I'm not surprised about that. Of course. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's the worst thing that possibly could have happened. I'm not surprised <laughs> because I have no expectations about the world or whatever. And I don't like that guy because it is like um, hoping for something better would uh mean that you're like stupid like you're an mm-hmm. idiot if you think that like things could possibly work out but also there's a the in in being a not surprised guy there's also a type of anti-intellectualism where you're not really willing to learn about like what's actually happening or the struggle that's like at stake because like you know it'll just turn out bad in the end anyways and to me there seems like you know to kind of transition from being a not surprised guy to be a, a hope guy <laughs> there does have to be sort of like a change in your in your comportment in the world, like how you act in the world and maybe like what you see as something that is actually hopeful. Um, Here are maybe two examples. One is a very uh, esoteric one for the podcast. And one is maybe like a more (laughs) understandable thing. Um, But uh, the Ernesto Cardinal poem, the mystical letters of the FSLN Mm -hmm. is we reference it all the time in this podcast, but I think it is a great example of like how hope, might actually work where like you know you are um you're down about you know capitalism the whole society but then you look and see that like you've actually accomplished something uh that is liberative and then god smacks you across the face and says look you idiot you've done this is what i did for you and like Mm -hmm. maybe you should think about that but also i think so i mean i think that's that's maybe one way hope works right that you just kind of have to change the way that you think about how your like justice works in the world and maybe how other people have including yourself have like already kind of participated in that. Um, that's a hopeful thing for sure. Mm-hmm. But all, I mean, and just looking at like the types of um, the, the things that people do like to express hope and express a type of utopia, despite all of the awful things in the world, despite all of the not surprised guys, like for example, um, there was a big strike uh, of service workers in the South this past week. There were three cities who struck a bunch of workers um, and they all got together and they talked about uh, having safe jobs and how important that was. And like, on the one hand, you could be a not surprised guy. You could be like, well, of course, service work is bad. It's always bad. It's the worst. Capitalist exploitation is awful. And, you know, these people, it's, you know, they're, they're never going to get anything better because this is just capitalism. But then, like, the hopeful part is to actually think, like, these people literally walked off their job to go do this for a day instead, right? They, like, they they thought whatever this other world they can imagine, one where they actually have a say on their job, is so important. They did not show up for work and that they're going to take whatever repercussions come to them. Um, and that's extremely hopeful, I guess. But it, it you don't recognize it as such. and unless you're like you're willing to see that there is an end to the story that is possibly different than being a not surprised guy yeah i completely agree um i wrote my master's thesis on this guy named peter slaughter who i find hard to recommend i don't recommend him 
But I will recommend <laughs> this point that he makes that I think is very right and why I wrote a whole thesis about it, because <laughs> I think it's important. Um, he wrote this book called Critique of Cynical Reason. And he was really mad about critical theorists in Germany who basically did exactly what we're talking about, who equated uh, more knowledge with being more bummed out, more depressed. And he has this pretty important line where he says uh, he talks about what he calls enlightened false consciousness. So in Marxism, ideology is always false consciousness, right? It's like you have these ideas that are wrong and that's bad. Uh, but the paradox is like having an enlightened false consciousness should be a contradiction in terms, because if you're enlightened, if you know what's going on, then like your consciousness should be true, right? Not false. Uh, but instead, it makes us cynical. It's like, I know everything that's going on, and therefore I know that it's bad, but I basically don't have any way of changing it or any like feeling that it could be changed. And so therefore, you kind of like resign yourself to being like knowing better is basically the same thing as having the power to have changed it. And that is also ideological. Like, <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. not true. You know, it's it's fake. And uh, I think Sloterdijk doesn't know how to get you out of it. But, you know, liberation theology kind of does. Like, it's like, well, if you got together with a bunch of other poor people or working people or whatever, and you figured out what to do, like, there are paths available to you, even though everything is, you know, like, <laughs> not in good shape or whatever. And, and people are changing it. So all this to say... Cynicism, um, it's not cool anymore. It was cool uh, when Barack Obama was the president, um, but it's not cool now, <laughs> and uh, we got to do something different. That's cool. Uh, that's true. In the more enlightened times of uh, Joe Biden, we can't be cynics anymore. <laughs> Dean, I feel like we've strayed so far from what this podcast is about. Can you, can yeah. you get us back on track? All right. Yeah. All right. We're talking about, <laughs> we only have like 20 minutes left, man. Um, we're just gabbing away out here. Uh, utopia and hope. We've got these definitions on the table, but let's skip ahead a little bit. Um, so Labano, he's a real theologian. He's a Jesuit priest, and he has a lot to say about finding utopia and hope in the Bible. Um, it's kind of interesting, but you already know what he has to say. Uh, basically, um, he says that, uh, there's this kind of, um, this kind of like story in the Bible where God is giving the the people of God, whether Israel or folks in the New Testament, God is giving them this kind of posture of difference toward the world, right? They're, they're not like doing the same things as their neighbors, or at least they're not supposed to be. And also God has this sort of promise, this uh, uh, relationship of promise that things will be better. So he's trying to root these concepts in a, a biblical way of doing things, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, but uh, one of the most interesting things, I think, that kind of pulls this together is actually something he has to say about um, utopia more generally. He says, for a people left on the margin of history, or rather living on the underside of history, it is a historical force for liberation, talking about utopia. It rejects the defeatism and fatalism generated and nourished by the dominant ideology and is an anticipation of the future as a different, possible, longed-for reality. It keeps alive the conviction that present reality can be changed, that it's not a natural order imposed by God, but the result of interested human decisions. Utopia is a mysticism-inspiring action for change. Utopia impels to action, opening new spaces which previously appeared to be closed off. And I like reading that alongside all these biblical examples because this is what God is like trying to do in the Bible over and over, Labanio says. He's trying to sort of 
give this sense that like there are new spaces being opened up that seemed closed off. Um, there's this kind of uh, impelling action, compelling action to change. And there's this real sense that for Labanyo, uh, theology cashes itself out in history. Like, even though utopia is sort of out there, right, it's the negative move, or hope is out there, it's the, the affirmation of promise in the future, both of them have to, like, deal with history, and they have to materialize in history, even if not, like, absolutely. And I think that is a, a pretty important contribution for Christians on the left, right, that, like, um, the Bible is sort of testifying to that that constant, like, opening of of space in time that you get through uh utopia and and hope yeah i think it's really cool it's a it's an interesting way to think about the bible not one that i actually had considered but you know it makes me think of all of the prophets letting justice um fall down like a like a waterfall like a river right that's a utopian uh that's a utopian vision that that is this type of like um well, like labanya says mysticism um I love it. It's a really cool, I think, powerful idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff that we could have gone into a little more critically here, but in the interest of time, I'm just going to sort of wrongly maybe blow over it and trust you, the listener, if you want to read this essay and find out for yourself, you can figure it out, I guess. Um, I mean, you're hoping that, right? And that's cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I will flag one thing, though. There's some, like, real Christian, I don't know, like... <laughs> Christian supremacy stuff going on in this essay that is maybe like uh, to be expected from a real Christian person, <laughs> a priest talking, but also is an unforced error, like not necessary to Christianity. For example, there's some supersessionism in here, I think, uh, that tries to sort of dismiss uh, Judaism and the Israel of the past um, in a bad way. Um, it doesn't like come out and say that right, you know, on the face of it, but that is what's happening for sure. Um, so don't like that, uh, but something that, like I said, I think is pretty obvious if you just read the text. Um, but to stick with some of the, the good parts, not that they excuse the bad parts, but, um, you know, just trying to keep it one tone <laughs> on this podcast. Um, there's, a, I think, a, another interesting piece here about Utopia that I want to pull out, uh, where Labanyo says, um, God's kingdom is not a utopia because its fulfillment will be the victory over sin and death. If historically it generated utopias with a purely earthly character, it nevertheless remains the critical standard for all utopias, including those of the church itself, which is its sacrament. This reality is clarified theologically by the resurrection of Jesus. We made it. Uh, <laughs> in this eschatological event, Jesus' body as a unique and personal center of decision, as the representative of history and the cosmos achieves the definitive quality of life, which forever surpasses time and the confinement of space with him, the cosmos and history become ripe for God's eternity eternity. The resurrection is not a terminus. It is not a topia. It is not to be found in any of the utopias, which are simply the creations of human imagination, aspiration and desire. The resurrection is the place, the topia of theological hope. And then he closes off saying, through the resurrection of the dead, which is God's fundamental act of love, the eschatological significance of God's preference for the poor appears more clearly. Those who suffered so greatly in earthly history, who were familiar with weakness and humiliation, now share in the victory, power, and glory of God, who raised Jesus and who will raise these poor of the earth. So Matt, you yourself are a theologian. 
And uh, I'm going to ask you to comment on this uh, great <laughs> lyrical uh, presentation of a, a firm belief in the bodily resurrection and what it sort of does for utopias. Uh, how does it strike you, Matt, the theologian of this podcast? Yeah, I'm having some second thoughts about being a theologian right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so sure about this anymore. That's okay. Um, so something that I think is interesting about this is, I'll, I'll get to the bodily resurrection part in a minute, but... Uh, Labanya thinks that utopias, like you know, we just, they're they're a mystical thing, right? And it's a type of thinking. We said it's a type of critique as well, but also Labanya is like pretty open that he thinks it's a type of practice as well. That like people act like actively put utopian ideas into action in all kinds of ways, right? And I think that I mean, which is which is good, right? That it's not just like a place that doesn't exist or a nice idea that you have in your head, but it's something that you can actually try. Um, which I think means that things like base communities are utopian. Um, that's that's great. <laughs> but also, in terms of like the bodily resurrection of Jesus, I think about the most the most utopian thing that comes to mind is like the Church of Acts, and that that's a utopian action in practice, right? People are are living um, they're living a different way altogether. They're they're you know they're not working. They're share, they're sharing things. There's the communism of consumption that we've talked about so many times in this podcast, and they're doing that specifically because they've experienced something you know pretty mind blowing, pretty pretty different, pretty um, outside of the norm for them. Uh, they they've seen the fundamental act of love, and they've decided to live completely differently because of it. Uh, and I think that there's something to that, and in you know Christian communities, um, is often will put some of these utopian ideas into practice, and sometimes they do it very poorly. Um, but I still think it is like a hopeful thing that people find something really important about Jesus as like um, a person who exists, and also a person who like you know we might recognize as. Um, like Ignacio of Curious, you know, puts it as like a crucified class of people, right? That we find Jesus in that class of people and that we find those ideas and like those actions and like sort of, uh, you know, way of being in the world so powerful that people start to live their lives differently. That's pretty hopeful in and of itself, I think. Yeah, you sound like a great theologian to me. Um, yeah, I'm not really saying much is kind of what I'm doing, which I think is pretty <laughs> theological. <laughs> That's how you get an MDiv. I think you could be a great pastor. Uh, no shade to those of you listeners who do have MDivs. You're all brilliant and uh, all saying things of great substance. Um, of course, but, uh, but not me, I'm, though, is what I'm trying yeah. to say. That's how Matt gets an MDiv, is what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, too, there's something interesting also about uh, the kingdom of God being this thing that is... Um, something that generates utopias but is also critical of all utopias yeah that it's like you know it's out there um it's this thing that you can like put your hope in or whatever um and it like it has this interesting recursive effect like you know the kingdom of god is uh it's with you it's among you but it's also like not here yet um there's something really interesting about that that i think is going on here and uh the way that gets sort of balled up into the resurrection as well is really interesting i think like like i said at the beginning of the podcast whenever i hear people talk about the resurrection where i'm kind of expected to be interested in it like around easter i just sort of i don't know i find it hard to get fired up about it 
you know, like when on Twitter, for example, on Easter, there's going to be my feed is just going to be a thousand people saying he's risen indeed. I feel like I'm just going to like close the app and wait till Monday. Um, and uh, it's there's nothing wrong with saying it. Like, I don't know why it bugs me. It just does. And like for no good reason, like I don't think it's bad or anything. I, I guess it's just like there's some part of me that feels icked by it and uh i feel like this way of putting it though allows me a way to sort of entertain that doctrine um in a way that makes it feels like there's like there are stakes involved you know like um the rex the resurrection of jesus's body can like generate a historical sort of manifestation that might be like unique or important or interesting and like historically has also generated manifestations of earthly life that are not very good, right? Like um, lots of uh, lots of colonialists uh, believed in the resurrection of the dead and so on. Um, but uh, I think there's, there is this sense that you can like tie that doctrine to something historical. And that, at least for me, is always the, the way to get me to care about a doctrine. If you can be like, listen, if you think about this doctrine and you make it real in your life, it will like help you be better at i don't know appreciating historical revolution it's like okay then i'm sold i will listen (laughs) so i'm I'm gonna be reflecting on that i think at easter time yeah there's a part earlier in this essay where libiano talks about like the the sort of bad types of utopia the time the types that are like conservative or are done at the expense of like human flourishing and freedom and stuff um and right after that like disclaimer about the pitfalls of utopia he does talk about how liberation theology is because it kind of takes on this um this option for the poor it kind of skirts a lot of those problems because the the people that are coming to liberation theology and they're they're practicing this type of utopian thinking um you know because of their social position they've just fundamentally like don't fall into those categories (laughs) um and i think that's kind of interesting though because when we're talking about like Jesus's resurrection as a generative event, you know, it's like what types of, and especially when you view it through the framework of liberation, like what types of utopian ideas is that giving you, right? Like what ideas is that pointing toward? And to me, I mean, the thing that makes me excited about resurrection is like, it's a world where the crucified people don't, they don't they're not crucified <laughs> that's mm-hmm. that's the cool thing about Jesus resurrection is that um that there's like a, a promissory note that there will that things will be right in the end and uh people won't be um exploited or um crucified they won't be fired for speaking out at their job they won't go hungry because they don't have food there won't be billionaires who are like forcing people to live uh extremely torturous lives mm-hmm. and that's cool I like that. <laughs> That's, That's a cool that, theological uh, idea. It is. Uh, Labanio closes his essay even talking that way, right? He says, the last word on history has already been said. No human power, no dictator, no ruling power will decide the final destiny of the poor. God's love raised Jesus and will raise all those who love, uh, all those he loves and who love him. And among these, the poor have first place. And I can get behind that. Uh, the idea of Jesus's resurrection being that promissory note that, you know, um, the the crucifying powers of the world think that they can bury uh, the poor, think that they can bury the rabble rousers and so on. But in the end, th- those are the people that God chooses to be like, actually, these are the people who will inherit the earth. I think that's a good 
metaphysical promissory note I can get behind. Yeah. Um, they're the people that God chose to inherit the earth, and they're the people who keep standing up over and over again, right? I mean, that's great. Um, that's that's what I think like hope and utopia in action look like is uh is people like that not sitting down and just like letting it kind of happen, right? Not being complacent or um optimistic, but striving for justice. And uh I don't know. It's a hard idea, but one I think is good to practice. <laughs> I agree. Well, there you have it, folks. Happy Easter. Lent is over. We did it, we made it, you can eat your chocolate. Um, you can say hallelujah finally. You can um, <laughs> put those uh, Lenten things away <laughs> and get your great big bunny out here. Uh, paint those eggs, open those eggs, find those jelly beans. And uh, somehow all that, um, you know, when you are on your big Easter egg hunt, you can take some time to think about how God's kingdom calls all earthly utopias into question. I think that's that it's going to slow you down a little bit. Some of some of the other kids are going to get a few more eggs than you as a result, but you're going to come away um, with a, a deeper revolutionary consciousness. And that is the most important thing. Thanks for listening to the Magnificast. If you like what you heard, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the Magnificast. If you support us there at, uh, I think, $2 or more, you get access to our cool Behind the Paywall Discord and also our cool Behind the Paywall podcast called the Magnificast Lock-In, where we get goofy and we talk about Reddit questions uh, from the Christianity subreddit, and also we talk about current events. Um, our intro music is by Amaria Armstrong. Our outro music is by The Logical Spoon. We'll see you next week. Get up for church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation. Never get tired, never bored. Don't worry, someday there'll be no dam between us and our Lord. Jackson, keep your hoods up. Keep your hoods up and you stay up late in Jackson. You keep your hoods up, well you keep your hoods up and you stay up late. Oh, don't mind a cold night, but we might mind if you leave too soon. So come on now, it's still early. At least I would have